All right, anybody ready for God's word? Yes. Amen. Kayla, you reading today? Yes, I y'all am. I give it up for Kayla, y'all. Give it up. Thank you. Okay. Jonah 4, 9 to 11 says, But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And you should not, and should not I pity Nevaeh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand, and also much cattle? And I'm going to read in Spanish. Hold on, y'all. Give me a second to get this together. Well. Okay, Jonás 4, 9 al 11. Pero Dios le dijo a Jonás, ¿Tienes, ¿Tienes razón de enfuercerte tanto por la planta? Claro que lo tengo, le respondió. Me muero de rabia. El Señor le dijo, ¿Tú te compadeces de una planta que sin ningún esfuerzo de tu parte creció en una noche y en la otra, en la otra pereció y de Nineveh Una, una gran ciudad donde, ma, donde hay más de 120 mil personas que no distinguen su derecha de su izquierda. Y tanto ganado no habría yo de compadecerme. There we go. Somebody say amen. amen. Uh, yeah, yeah, give it up for the word. Give it up for Kayla. Uh, really fast. Uh, February 16th, if you have been checking out our church and you want more information, we are going to have a pizza party uh, after service, so you are invited to that. And also uh, reiterating our worship night on the 21st, it is definitely going to be a different kind of worship night. It's going to be kind of like worship and fellowship, so we're going to have like some food, we're going to have a worship team, um, but we definitely want to make it a unique experience. Uh, obviously, Christ is going to be the center of that. So uh, I invite you out, put it on your calendars, um, and we look forward to seeing you that night. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word that is divine, it is holy, it is powerful, it is effective, and it does not return void. And so as we submit ourselves to the authority of Scripture, we pray that you would breathe in this place in such a way that our minds and our hearts would be transformed and that it would evidence itself in the movement of our feet, that we will not just be people that hear the word, but that we will be doers of the word. So would you help us to do that by the power of the Holy Spirit? And we ask that in your son's name, Jesus. And somebody said, I mean, strictly to apply to the slave-holding religion of this land and with no possible reference to Christianity proper, for between the Christianity of this land and the Christianity of Christ, I recognize the wildest possible difference. So why that to receive the one as good, pure, and holy is of necessity to reject the other as bad, corrupt, and wicked. To be the friend of one is of necessity to be the enemy of the other. I love the pure, peaceable, and impartial Christianity of Christ. I therefore hate the corrupt, slave-holding, women-whipping, cradle-plundering, partial and hypocritical Christianity. Frederick Douglass said that in a time in this land where 
the Bible was being used to trample on image bearers. Friends, this quote by Frederick Douglass was penned so that people would know that oppressive Christianity being displayed by America is what he didn't agree with. But the Christianity of the Bible, he did agree with. He did not agree nor believe that Christ upheld any form of injustice. The slaveholding and women whipping were of the devil. And Fred wanted to make it clear that the God that we serve did not delight in the trampling of image bearers. Friends, it's important that we too know how to tell the difference between injustice and fused Christianity and biblical historical Christianity. If not, we will as a church run the danger of losing our lamp and having it being placed under a bow. We run the danger of losing our saltiness. If we can't tell the difference between white supremacy, misogyny, immigrant hating, abortion, allowing infused Christianity from biblical Christianity, we are in danger of not being the city on top of the hill here in Gary. Why do you think some people in Gary will never step foot in the church? Why do you think people in Gary will never step foot in some of the churches in this region? Let me tell you why. Some of them believe Christianity is the white man's religion. They think that we believe in a Christianity that promotes and celebrates black and brown people being docile. They think we believe in a Jesus that oppresses women. But we must, like Frederick Douglass, first let them know that we are not ignorant of the history of this country. That we are not ignorant of how this country has used the Bible to cover and promote injustice. But we must also prove that injustice is something that the church does not tolerate. And we must show by our action that injustice is unwelcome in our churches. This is why Dr. King says injustice anywhere is a great threat of justice everywhere. But we expect to see injustice everywhere, do we not? We live in a world that is under the control of the evil one. But there is one place that slavery should have never been welcomed. There is one place that when segregation entered, it should have been considered trespassing and prosecuted to the highest degree. There is one place where misogyny and mistreatment of immigrants ought not find any rest. Friends, that place should be the church of Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, here in America, those statements are not true. American churches have allowed injustice to creep in the back door. We have allowed it to sit in the pew, and justice has felt most at home in the church. And as justice has become our neighbor. And these things come to kill, steal, and destroy our fellowship and our witness of the gospel. And today, we want to be reminded that these things have no place, not only in this building, but in the hearts of God's people. They have no place in our pulpits. And we want these things untangled from our doctrine. 
And we no longer want injustice to hold power because it only whips the backs of those who have no power and make room for cults like the black Hebrew Israelites. It's time for the holy, infallible, inerrant word of God to rule in our churches and in our pulpits and dwell in our hearts once again. But how does a multi-ethnic church like us become salty again? How does the church mix with black people and white people and Latino people become the city on the hill again? How does a mixed family in the heart of downtown Gary take their lamp from up underneath the bowl of injustice? How does a mixed family talk about the painful history of its country without turning on each other? Bethel Gary, we have a chance to show the world what the gospel is really about. Did you hear me in this place? Bethel Gary, we have a chance to show the world what the gospel is really about. We have a unique opportunity to be really salty. We have an opportunity to put our lamps really, really, really high. Before I answer that question, how do we become salty? Let us look at the story of Jonah. God tells Jonah to go to the leading city, arguably the most vile, ruthless, and scariest people who have ever lived, the Assyrians. The brutality is notorious among them. They would literally skin people alive. Those whom they conquered, they piled up their bodies in terrible atrocities. God tells Jonah, hey, bro, hey, homie, I want you to go to Nineveh. That's how I read my Bible. Hey, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and tell them I'm going to destroy them if they do not repent. Jonah, I want you to go and do that. Jonah sends in the message the possibility that God might not destroy them if they did repent. So what better way to keep that from happening than to get as far away from Nineveh as possible? I mean, my boy Jonah, he takes off. I mean, faster than Usain Bolt, he's, he's out of there. He's gone. I mean, sin will make you do some foolish stuff. How do you think you're going to outrun the God who made your legs? That's crazy, isn't it? Jonah goes the exact opposite direction, as you can see on the map, but he couldn't outrun God. God sends a terrible storm to save the ship. Jonah is cast into the sea, and as he is sinking, he repents. As he's sinking, he repents. You can relate to that. You tried running from God, and then you started sinking, and what happened? The relationship ain't go the way you thought it was supposed to go. Oh, y'all not going to talk to me this morning. And you started sinking, and all of a sudden, you know God again. That's how, that's how it works. So Jonah, Jonah drowning, and he like, hey, Lord, I, I ain't really mean to run from <laughs> This water deep, and so God does what? God sends a very large fish to swallow Jonah. God never saves you the way you think that he'll save you. Now he's smelling tuna all day. So God rescues my bro. Um, He's in the fish for three days. The fish vomits him on shore. Jonah heads to Nineveh, declares the coming judgment from God. And guess what, y'all? The whole city repents. Everybody 
repent. And they repent from a message that a dude preached that didn't like them. God is not dependent on man to save nobody. His word is effective. So that God can use a no good preacher this morning to get his word across and still save you. So we pick up in 4.1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. I thought you would have shouted right there. I'm going to read it again. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, here it is, slow to anger. Ooh, that's good right there. Mm. I just need a praise moment for myself. Y'all just ignore me. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord... Please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Okay, how in the world do we a mixed church become a salty again in this region? We must be willing to face the painful history, the present injustice of this country in this region. Bethel Gary must come to grips with who we are. We are a mixed congregation. And we have a unique battle in this racial reconciliation thing. So our first step is this. We got to stop running from each other. Notice that Jonah, Jonah separates. One of the sorest and most painful things that has ever happened in this region is white flight. What is white flight? It is the phenomenon of white people moving out of urban areas particularly those with significant minority populations, into suburban areas. When blacks moved into the backyard, many whites got as far as they could. And what was most astonishing is white Christians running to the suburbs to get away from their black neighbors. And I'm not talking about all white people. This is why we have a huge divide to this day between North County and South County. This is why our churches are still segregated. And I want to argue this morning, God is not pleased with it. We see this in Jonah's story. God sends Jonah to a place he doesn't want to go. He sends him to a people he doesn't want to be around. He sends him to people he doesn't like. But it wasn't easy getting Jonah to people he didn't like. Because when we don't like people, we get far away from them. Like we sit on the other side of the sanctuary. I don't like you. Don't look at me. It's not just a black and white thing. When we don't like folks, we get away from them. And Jonah runs from them. Jonah wants God to establish redlining policy so that his house wouldn't have to be by the Ninevites. How about segregation, God, so we don't have to go to the same church and my children don't have to go to the same schools? 
How about you wipe them out and maybe we can move in and cause gentrification? This is what Jonah wanted, but it's not what God wanted. God wanted Jews and Ninevites in the same family. This is why God sent Jonah to Nineveh. Jonah was to go and preach a message of repentance in hope that some might be saved. Watch it now. Jonah, go to Nineveh, preach the gospel to people you don't like. Preach the gospel to people you don't want to be around. Preach the gospel to people you don't love. Preach the gospel to people you will never choose to be part of your family. Go preach the gospel to them. God, what in the world are you doing? This is not surprising, for this is what God wants, and we see it in the New Testament. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in his ordinances that he might create in himself what? One new man in place of the two, so making what? Peace. Essentially, God is sending Jonah to Nineveh to preach repentance to some people that he doesn't like, so that those people will become part of God's family. Jonah was going to be the first MLK. Jonah was getting a family he never wanted. And if Christ is your Savior, listen to me, lean in on this, you're getting family members that you don't want. You're getting people in your family that you don't like. Hello? God brought you into the family. And you and God were enemies. And God brought you into the family. And so, yes, you're going to get people in your family that you don't like. And I'm going to tell you, just because people are saved and they're in church, it don't make them any easier to deal with. No, no, it don't. No. No, no, it don't. It, It really don't. See, I passed it, so I know. I thought I would have got an amen somewhere up in here. Church folks are sometimes the most difficult folks. Because can't nobody tell them nothing. They want to take their horse to the old town road. And James, they want to ride till they can't no more. That's going to be a hymn one of these days. But no matter how far we try to move away from each other, the cross will not only demand we move closer, but the cross has already made us closer. And we are a family, whether we like it or not, that you have no authority to push anybody out of the family of Jesus. You didn't start the family. And you ain't got the right to make up the family. You didn't die on the cross for them, and you can't put them out of God's family. You ain't got the right to do that whatsoever. We do not have the option to separate from each other. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, 
one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. If God can be inside of them, you can be beside them. If a holy God can be inside of them, you can be beside them. Get over yourself. What keeps blacks and whites and Latino brothers and sisters together is what we have in common in salvation. Let's be honest. If you've been attending this campus long enough, this has not been easy. You know how many times we wanted to quit? You know how many times we wanted to leave? many times we wanted to just have a black church or a white church? You know how many times we want to do that? You know how many times we get on each other's nerves? You know how many political disagreements we didn't have? You know how many Facebook disagreements we didn't have? And the only thing holding this thing together as I look out as a pastor is it got to be God. Because it should have fell apart a long time ago. Because one thing I know is that we are not good people on our own. I'd have cut, we'd have counseled somebody in a heartbeat. Up, canceled. Why they cancel? I, you know, I walk up to them, so, so, so why you cancel them, you know? Because I know, you know, you know, you got to cancel people sometimes, so why you cancel? Uh, uh, they looked at me wrong. They, hold on, you want to run that by me again? Yeah, they took the last donut last week. They thought I didn't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we ain't been cool since they took the glazed donut. I don't play. Now, if they would have took the chocolate glazed donut, we would have been good. But they took the, they know I eat that donut every week. Man, nobody know you eat that donut every week. Canceled. We're quick to cancel people. But many of us have remained. We kept coming. We kept showing up to church. We kept coming to the table because we realized that Christ hasn't given us an option to bail out on each other. And though sometimes we don't like each other, and though sometimes it's hard for us to talk to each other, we swallow our pride because Christ has brought us together. So my white brothers and sisters in the room, I want to challenge you. Will you speak to those who are scared of Gary, like Jonah running from Gary, and say that Gary, Indiana, is where my church family exists? I have brothers and sisters in that city. And the God that we serve loves that city and his people in that city. Everybody down there is not a criminal. It is not true that if you go into the city that you will be shot. And God has not called you to run but to embrace all people and to do anything else is a lie on the cross. Racism and injustice is a gospel issue. Paul confronts Peter when he tries to run from his bros and sis. You might not know this, but in the book of Galatians, Paul takes up issue with the apostle Peter. Peter that walked with Jesus. Yes, Peter, Peter, Peter. Peter that pulled out the sword and was about to go ham on some homies for messing with Jesus. I'm talking about Peter, Peter. I'm talking about out the boat, walking on water. Peter, he struggled with racism. 
Here it is. I brought the scripture just in case you didn't believe me. Here it is. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Man, Paul was a G. Did you hear that right there? He said he, he opposed him to his face. He came up to him like, what's up, bro? But why did he oppose him to his face? He said, because he stood condemned. Watch it. For before a certain man came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. Peter had no issue eating with the Gentiles until the Jewish people showed up. And when the Jewish people showed up, Peter separated himself because he didn't want to be talked about. He didn't want to be looked at strange. He didn't want nobody saying, you know those are Democrats. <laughs> oh, y'all not going to talk to me this morning. You know him downstairs. <laughs> he from Gary, Indiana. And what did he do? He removed himself. And when he removed himself, he made a lie out of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, how did he make a lie out of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because when he separated on the base of them being Gentiles, he added to the justification of Jesus by essentially saying in his functionality that you got to be a Jew in order to be saved plus Jesus. And when we separate people on the basis of their nationality, on the basis of their political position, what we're saying is that you got to be Jesus plus Republican. You got to be Jesus plus Democrat. You got to be Jesus plus black. And that is blasphemy and heresy from the pits of hell because all you need to do is believe on the blood. <clears throat> That's what happens when we run from our brothers and sisters. Rick, who was up here with me a second ago, had another white couple over his house. He told them that he attended church in Gary and the guy asked him if he wore a, bullet, a bulletproof vest to church. Rick was hurt and disturbed by that. Why? Because Gary is not Nineveh. Gary is his family. And when people become more than a zip code to you, when people talk about them, now you got an issue. You can't talk about my brother in front of me. You can't talk about my sister in front of me. I can talk about him, but you can't talk about him. But you said it, but we grew up together, okay? <laughs> but Rick always smiles and says, they say, why do you choose to go from South County to North County? And Rick smiles and says, because that's where God has me. And Bethel Gary is my home. <laughs> what is happening in moments like that? We're rocking the paradigm. We're rocking the reality. We're rocking the social expectations of the world, Bethel Gary. We want to rock the world with the love of Christ by the way we love one another. The Jonas who want to make an excuse to stay separate. Rick is becoming salty again in those moments. Rick is becoming a city on top of a hill. Rick is becoming a lamp on the stand. How? He is showing the power of the cross. 
Jesus has the power to help us overcome fear, race, and economics. Bethel Gary, do not think it is by chance God has put this church in this location at this time, at this moment, just by chance. God is doing something divine and so profound, and you got a chance to be a part of what he's doing here. God doesn't separate from us. We shouldn't separate from one another. Part of what I don't get is that people who don't want to come to Gary, that for crying out loud, your Savior was born in the ghetto. Can anything good come from where Jesus came from? Jesus came from the hood, people. And hold on. The nice areas compared to heaven is still a hood. So even if you can't get that, you got to get this, that he left the courts of glory, came down in human flesh, and he walked with you, and he talks with you, and if he can do it, so can you. Are you better than Jesus? Don't let your bank account. I know that's right. I know that's right. Let the children come to me. Friends, don't let your bank account fool you. Don't let the square footage of your home fool you. Don't let your degrees fool you. Don't let your clothes fool you. You're still a sinner. God sends Jonah to the Ninevites, and then the Ninevites repent. This is key to focus in on their repentance. If we will be salt and light in this community, we must not preach a Christianity that says God doesn't care about evil. Why? One thing about black and brown communities is not does God exist. If you get into urban apologetics, the question is not does God exist. Urban apologetics is different. Urban apologetics is more concerned with does God care? Let's not miss that God sent Jonah to preach because of the evil in Nineveh. Nineveh Nineveh needed to repent or destruction was coming. Yes, God forgives, but he requires a turning away from evil. This once again is where Frederick Douglass was genius He was able to articulate that the cross was for sinners while being against their sin. And the reason why it's important for black and brown people to know the dynamic of the cross and white people also, because there are many black, brown, and yellow people that think we are ignorant and crazy because we believe in a God that is cool with slavery, racism, misogyny, and the mistreatment of immigrants. And how can we be when we have suffered so much in the name of a so-called white Jesus? This was Jonah's frustration. Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. What's the issue, Jonah? What is Jonah struggling with? If you do not get what Jonah's struggling with, you're going to miss the whole thing. In other words, 
His theology made him run away from God. Watch it. It's great theology on one degree. Jonah was spot on and well aware of the tendency of God to show mercy when judgment was required. He didn't want Ninevites to get mercy. He wanted them to get hell. But Jonah was missing a piece in his theology, and if he understood it, it would have rounded out his theology. What is Jonah wrestling with? Jonah grapples with how could God be just in a justifier of sinners? This is what he's wrestling with. How can God be just and justify sinners? How could God show mercy to people who were wrong and still be just? And because Jonah can't reconcile justice and forgiveness, he runs from God. But we know how God reconciles justice and forgiveness. He does it at the cross. But many people in this community and many minority communities are running from Jesus to cults because they cannot reconcile the two. Justice and forgiveness. Blacks wonder, how can slave and slave owners become brothers and sisters? How can that young man stand up on that stand and forgive that white police officer who killed his brother? How can white brothers and black brothers dwell in the same church in light of our history? Listen to what they're saying. This is D.L. Hughley. Our thinking on forgiveness is warped mainly because white slave masters who raped, beat, and sold our ancestor children told us about a God that forgives and not a God that said stop. If we will be salt and light in this community, we must understand how to navigate this church. We must understand how to navigate these complexities. And I'm sensitive to all of this because they derive this from a misappropriation and interpretation of scriptures that's been, that, that's been ran into this country by people who want to eisegete the scriptures to have their own way. This country's Christianity has been more like Devo than Jesus. I know I caught y'all off guard with that, but Devo from Friday. Every time we think we got $200, Debo says, I got about $200. But look at what the gospel does to a Debo. I want you to watch what the gospel does to a Debo. Number one, we must understand that Christ is not a cover-up for injustice. Christ is not a cover-up for injustice. The gospel is not a cover-up for abuse, racism, misogyny, abortion, and mistreatment of immigrants. Christ's gospel actually frees and commands people to turn from injustice. We see this in the salvation of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a powerful, influential man. He had money. He made money by extorting his own people. He was the Debo of his day. And the easy way to be hated in your community is extorting your own community. And who did that Zacchaeus, uh, who, 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 who house did God, did Jesus go over? He went over Zacchaeus' house. And who did Zacchaeus get over on? He got over on the oppressed and the poor. He defended a corrupt system that broke the backs of the marginalized. But he finally, he finally 
he finally runs into Jesus. On what happens when Debo runs into Jesus? This is the man who defended a corrupt system that broke the backs of the marginalized, and now he runs into Jesus. This is the man who made his money off of getting over on the poor, and now he runs into Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Jesus sees Debo in the tree, and he tells Debo to come down to him. And Jesus, watch this, Jesus invites himself to Debo's house. Don't miss this. Jesus invites himself to Debo's house. Debo didn't invite Jesus. Jesus invited himself. Jesus said, hey, I'm coming over your crib today. And what do the people do when Jesus invites himself over the oppressor's house? The Bible says that they grumbled. The Bible says that they were mad. The Bible says that they begin to question the goodness of Jesus. This is what Dr. Christina says. She says, if we are honest, we too would have been part of that grumbling crowd. She goes on to say, see, when the guilty, when the for real guilty claim to be with Jesus, it certainly causes a stir. When those who exploit the vulnerable aid and abet a system of injustice and claim Jesus as their house guest, it will cause some grumbling. And Bethel Gary, don't think for a moment that people in this city do not grumble about us befriending a so-called Jesus they think that upholds injustice. Do not think for a moment that people do not grumble about us being a mixed congregation in Gary. How can whites and blacks and Latino all worship in the same place? Do they not know their history? But what people fail to understand is just because Jesus fellowship with Zacchaeus does not mean Jesus is cool with the behavior of Zacchaeus. Just because God wants to save the Ninevites, Jonah, it doesn't mean that God is okay with their behavior. Just because Jesus goes over your house and you got a KJV open on your coffee table doesn't mean that he is okay with your behavior. And they question Jesus because of the unrepentance of Zacchaeus. Watch it. But what happens when Jesus moves into the life of Debo? Watch it. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I'll restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the what? The lost. Zacchaeus not only gets forgiven of his sins, but he gets power to turn from his sins. But he not only turns from his sins, but he restores what his sin has broken. Not only does Jesus save Zacchaeus from his sins, he then gives him power to turn away from his sins, and then he gives him power to fix what his sins have broken. We got to stop preaching a truncated gospel 
that the gospel not only forgives you, but gives you power to overcome your sins and then moves your heart to do something about the things that you have done. So that if the abusive husband goes to church and he comes up to the altar and he gets saved, God expects him to not beat on his wife anymore. And he expects him to find a psychologist to help fix the damage that he has made. That's the gospel. And that's what it does. It fixes what it has broken. Racial reconciliation can't happen unless what has been broken is fixed by those who broke it. We must fix it. Because if we don't fix it, our past will keep showing up in our future like Mike Larry on Bad Boys 3. I hope you've seen the movie. All right, I ain't going to say it. Y'all got one more week, all right? I use my own life. Not too long ago, I was detailing a customer's car. Got in the car, got done detailing it. Put that bad boy in reverse. And as I'm going in reverse, I didn't realize that there was a little tree stump behind me. Man, y'all, I ran into that tree stump right around Christmas time, y'all. It was. Yeah, my goodness. Yeah, I'm still hurting from it. I'm still hurting from it. And when I ran into it, um, I didn't run, y'all. I didn't run, just in case y'all wondering. <laughs> I went up, I rang the door, doorbell, and I told the customer, hey, I messed up the bottom of your car. She looks over, and she's like, oh, man. But I said, hey, you don't have to worry about it because I'm going to make sure that I take care of what I broken. I want to make sure that you have no reason to pay for what I have done. And this is what Zacchaeus does. And this is important because when we do this, we show people though we've been saved by the cross, we have not been defiled by the cross. That the cross purifies us and it changes us because we want our character to speak the truth about God's character. And when we go around saying, oh, God forgave me and doing whatever you want to do, you lie on the cross. But what happens when we take ownership for our own injustice? People begin to see the God that loves justice. You see, what Jonah was missing in his theology was the cross. This is what it says, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just in the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What are you doing, God? When I sent you to Nineveh, Jonah, I did not forget about what they did. I did not forget about all of their sins. I didn't forget about all of their idolatry. I didn't forget about it. I just planned to die for it. And because I was going to die for it, I can let them go free. That's your story. And what we see in that is that God is never okay with sin. God is never okay with injustice. He's so much not okay, he doesn't just forgive. He actually dies for the sin. Because God got to fix what's broken. And then what the cross does is the cross calls sinners to itself. It repairs the sinner. And God then hires those sinners 
as social handyman and women to fix what they broke prior to salvation and join God in repairing this broken world. Bethel Gary, how might we show a community that God has enough grace for the racist, those who are drenched in misogyny, those who aid and embed injustice, but at the same time convey grace is not a getaway car for their sin. We must, as black, brown, yellow, white people, continue to fellowship together like Jesus did with Zacchaeus. But our fellowship cannot be a means or reason for us to ignore injustice. Instead, people need to see white hands and yellow hands and black hands and brown hands all working together to repair what has been broken. And in our working together to repair, we show that the cross has reconciled us and not defiled us. How might we work together to give kids better schools in this city? How might we work together to stop school-to-prison pipelines? How might we help children separated from their children at the border? I mean, what would happen if the world saw this from a small church in Gary, Indiana? Can you imagine with me this morning? Man, I can imagine what would happen if black brothers and white brothers from North and Lake County begin to have dinner in each other's homes. I can imagine what would happen if we showed up to the schools as a mixed congregation. I can imagine what would happen. Jonah had to get this. And the only way we begin to repair is that we got to start to care. This is what God says. God saved the Ninevites, 120,000 people. 120,000 image bearers, and God created every single Ninevite. God says this to Jonah, I know them all by name. I know every hair on their head. I have tended to Nineveh for these years. My heart longs for these people. God saves them, and Jonah is furious, and you would think Jonah would be happy. God has just grew this pastor's church overnight. Jonah just grew his church overnight. It is as if he stopped J-Lo at the Super Bowl game, and he said, stop, I got a word to preach, and everybody at the Super Bowl got saved. What pastor wouldn't celebrate that? 120,000 people in one day, and he's mad. Why? Because he doesn't like them. We got to be careful that our racism isn't the reason that people are not getting saved. You better be careful that your injustice is not the reason that people ain't hearing the gospel. You better be careful that you not liking somebody isn't the reason they haven't heard about Jesus. Jonah's furious. Jonah is mad. But God wants to save Nineveh. What does it look like in a tangible way for us to love one another? Friends, I submit to you the story of the Good Samaritan. Here's what Jesus said when asked, what does it look like? For me to love my neighbor, Jesus gives a parable of the Good Samaritan. And if you know anything about Samaritan and Jews, they did not get along. They were not cool with each other. And the Bible says that the, that the Samaritan is walking, and the Samaritan sees the Jewish person across the street. And when he looks over across the street, the Jewish person is beat up. The Jewish people is battered. He's messed up. And what does the Samaritan do who does not suppose to like Jewish people? He crossed the street. And the first thing that we can do is cross the street with one another. But not only does he cross the street, not only does he have pity, he reaches into his own pocket. He pulls out his own money and he pays for the healing of the Jewish person. 
And not only does he pay, pull out his own money, he follows up to make sure that he's good. In other words, what Jesus is saying, it's not enough to say you love somebody and you won't reach in your pocket, you won't give your time, and you won't give your talent. If you don't do that, it is a bunch of rhetoric. It's a bunch of empty rhetoric. Jesus doesn't care if you love singing yellow, black, and white. They are all perfect in his sight if you don't do nothing. God is not impressed that you can run down your doctrine. God is not impressed that you can regurgitate the gospel. God is not impressed. God does not ask for charity. God looks for justice. And that we are to fix what is broken. And we are to cross the street. My brothers and my sisters, this morning my challenge to you is to find people who don't look like you and begin to have a conversation. My challenge to you is to investigate this community and say, how can we help to get books to kids before bullets get to them? My challenge to you is to say, as we look out on the city of Gary and we realize that it is a food desert where people can't get fresh fruits and vegetables, you need to ask your own soul, what can I do to do that? When we look out on these cities and we go to people's homes and we realize that landlords are feeding on single moms and putting them in mold and rat infested places for you to ask yourself, what can I do? When we got abuse rising in this city, women running from guys that are abusing them, we as a church need to ask, what can we do? There's an after-school program that runs Monday through Thursday here. Have you asked, what can I do? Or are you only concerned about your big house and your 401K and your retirement and moving up the ladder? Because one day you're going to stand before Jesus, and he's going to say, when I was thirsty, did you give me a drink? When I didn't have clothes on my back, did you clothe me? I'm tired of playing church. Do we love people? Or are we just a bunch of Jonas running away from them? Because we're too focused on our own wealth, on our own prosperity. God didn't do that to us. He gave up everything so that you can have life eternal. Check your hearts, church, for we will give an account to God for what we have done.